Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and I'm the creator of the show Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake because none of us have time to exercise and work out. And me, I'm probably shaking a little bit more than I wish I were. This is going to be a community-hosted podcast, not by me, but by a collection of women all over the country who are going to share their stories, struggles, and solutions, some with their own guests on their episodes, some without. Each one will be a wonderful sampler of a story that you can relate to or that might help you. And I hope that you all enjoy it. Moms don't have time to move and shake. Get moving. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake, created by Zibby Owens, an extraordinary woman and connector. I am Dara LeVan. I'm hosting today's episode. I am the creator and host of another podcast, Every Soul Has a Story. I'm a writer and actually a former speech language pathologist. So communication has been my passion for basically my entire life. And speaking of communication, I have a wonderful guest with me today. We will be in conversation. I'm in Florida. She's in Vermont. Her name is Stephanie Justine. She is an extraordinary soul, a Zumba instructor, Pilates. She owns Studio 108 in Stowe, Vermont, where she doesn't just focus on movement. She focuses on mindfulness, the whole body, spirit, And so much more happens there, right, Steph? 100%. So thank you so much for joining me today. And today we're talking about childhood trauma and how does childhood trauma impact our body image, our psyches, and really our whole existence translating into adulthood. And Steph, we've talked offline a bit about your childhood trauma. Could you share some of that today? Yes, happy to. My childhood trauma stemmed from body size and and weight, and it was kind of moved through myself and my brother too, to some extent, but more so me because I'm the girl, Mm -hmm. from my father. And he himself was a chubby child and then kind of, I guess as an early teen, was kind of scared straight. And then became a very robust athlete, very vigorously competitive in everything he does right up till the present day. Mm. So it was all well and good until I was maybe about 11 in that prepubescent time when, you know, the undershirt turns into a training bra and attitudes shift and the chubby girl who was still really fast on swim team it's not good enough anymore. And you're not in grade school anymore, you know, um, elementary school anymore. And so in, when you can't really go after someone's insides, you know, you can't go after their psyche necessarily directly. You can't go after their hormones. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, let me get that. You go after their body, you go after their weight, you go after their size, you know, and if you're wearing a, a little girl's size, you know, 14, that's, that's not okay when all the other little girls are wearing a size six. So Jeff, I feel this deeply. And I don't think I ever told you I was on the swim team. My father took me to Weight Watchers at 10 years old. It wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I went to the team. Do you remember? Cause you know, we're of the age where there's things that are obsolete. Now there was center <laughs> diet center for teens, diet center for women. Do you remember Yeah, really healthy, right? Great message. 
so great to be weighed in by this like middle-aged God. Now I'm the middle-aged woman, right? (laughs) And at age like 13, 14, by a middle-aged woman, like moving the scale and like, mm -mm -mm, you know, judgy. Oh, it's terrible, terrible. So it evolved pretty quickly, you know. I think my mom, God bless her, she kind of sat on him like until at least I was through my bat mitzvah, which I was bat mitzvah to 12 because, again, I'm old. And (laughs) now they don't do that anymore. And then like literally the next day, counting the potato chips in the bag, pounding me, plaguing me, like nothing was okay enough, nothing was good enough. And especially when it came to sports, athletics, anything that I tried to do. Like if I enjoyed tennis, which I did, and I was good enough at it, you know, mm-hmm. nope, not good enough. You have to go to Adidas tournament training camp and you got to be the best. And if you're not thin enough and fast enough, you won't be the best. So there's like a little smidgen of how that started. And I don't think he, bless his heart. I don't think he, he just didn't recognize that this is this is how it works for most young girls. There's this not only shift in your hormones and your ideas and your ideals and what you find important and what you think about and what you prioritize, but your body actually makes an enormous physical shift. And some teenage girls stay slim and some teenage girls do not. And that is it. Like that is it. That is all. For sure. And Steph, I've always joked that I, and I fully accept and embrace my thighs will always touch. That is how I was built. <laughs> okay. And I also danced. Yes. When did, you, when did you become a dancer? When did you pursue that route? Because my goodness, there are a lot of eating disorders and body dysmorphia. I don't have to tell you. Was that a healthy choice in terms of your, <laughs> your path? First of all, I'm just going to say thick thighs save lives. You know, that's- I love it. I need, I need a bumper sticker for that. I will get you one. So I started dancing as young as I can remember. I mean, from like dancing with my parents, actually, we're in our huge music lovers. Um, music was always a huge part of our household. And my parents were fun. Like they ended up being not fun and getting divorced. And we were so thrilled when they did. But but they were really fun for a while. And there was loud music and and people over and partying going on and a little hash and a little this and a little that and rolling stones and loud stuff. And it was great. And then I got put into uh, 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 not not. I mean, I wanted to go. I got put into dance classes pretty early, like four, I think four or five. And I swimming competitively at the same time but I started with ballet like everyone does with a little tap on the side right (laughs) it was the 70s (laughs) that's what you did and I loved all of it I was super into the performance part which I still am give me a good costume right but my body even at like six seven eight years old was taller larger stronger shoulders, longer legs, just thicker, thicker. And I think by the time I was like nine, I was kicked out of ballet, like badinga, like that's it. No more. The teacher or by your parents? Oh, Oh, no, no. The teacher. And I was told, I was told that I danced. You ready? Here comes all the good stuff. I was told that I danced like a truck. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Right. So this was before the fragility set in. This is before when the precociousness was still there. The little girl, the like hippie long stalking attitude was still there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, screw it. So I went across the hall and I went to what was then jazz classes. Right. Which was the predecessor of hip hop. Like within a couple of years, it turned into hip hop. Right. (laughs) So I loved it. It was great. I could roll around on the floor. You could be a little more klutzy. You didn't have to point your toe all the time. Not as much structure. Structure. The music was great. Like Michael Jackson and Prince and like everything was perfection, right? And so I just continued to dance. I danced all through high school and I used to go home like from high school or college and take like go take adult ballet with my mom. She was always huge into dance. She took oriental dance and belly dancing all through her 50s and 60s. Wow. Performed in a troupe, like with the scarves and the midi top, like in her 50s, like in a parade in downtown Keene, New Hampshire. Like she was really into the body, into the beautifulness of your body, whatever it looks like. She's an artist and a painter. So there was always paintings of nude women all over the house. They were thin. They were thick they were old they were wrinkly they were gorgeous they were not so images of bodies and people and women was always all over and I couldn't what a dichotomy because it sounds like that seems like such a mixed message Steph because visually the way you're describing your mother and the images around your home sounded very diverse and accepting and yet the messages it sounds like you heard orally from your father, at least, that's so confusing. Pulling, confusing, pulling, hence why they could not stay together because I think their aesthetic just changed. And my mom was, she's still gorgeous. And it's not about her body size and, and her shape, but she always had what was considered a lovely figure, but, you know, full chested and beautiful curves. And, but like, I remember crazy things about food even then too. Like when my mom was at her slimmest, I think was when she was at her most like sad and depressed. I think she knew the marriage wasn't great. It's around when my brother was far misfit actually. And I look at images of it now and she looks gaunt, sick, really slim, pale in the big hat and the suit with the big shoulders. And I'm like, wow, she looks like she's disappearing. And that is so profound to me. And when she and my father finally split, he found someone who was tiny and blonde and she just blossomed, re-blossomed in her mid-50s and 60s. So I, yeah. I think there was a dichotomy. She knew, I knew there was a dichotomy by the time I was 12 or 13. And so she like worked with every, she got me out of there. I left, I went out, I went away to school when I was 13 and a half. Okay. And I think it thinks she, it took everything she had because she didn't want me to go away. We were very good, always very good friends. Even when I was a teen, I didn't fight with my mom as a teen, really. I didn't have that teenage girl nonsense with her. We were really close, bonded. There was sort of an understanding, like, I'm going to help you get the hell out of here. Stick with me, kid. You're fine. You're okay. You're good enough. And I'm going to get you out as soon as I can. And that did happen. And then once my brother got away, they finally separated. My brother and I were like, thank God. (laughs) But meanwhile. Yeah. They they were like, do you care if we get, I'm like, please get divorced. (laughs) 
That's very unusual. But then again, it's you, right? My father already had somebody else. I'm like, just do it already. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So how did that translate? You went away, but did those messages go away? Does the trauma go away? Does the criticizing and body shaming go away? Or is that something that's portable? So not only was it portable, but it morphed into ridiculously bad body dysmorphia, years and decades of anorexic and bulimic behavior, starting at about age 14, and landed me in the hospital more than once, out of college for a while. And I didn't need him to tell me anymore because it was already in. It was pro, they programmed the computer, right? And the virus and the the worm was in the system. You know what I mean? It was in and it was in good. Mm -hmm. I would dream about my father. I remember I would dream about my father. This is really, this is a big one. So I would dream about my father in boarding school. I would wake up like in a sweat. I would dream that he was standing over me, naked body, and he was taking tools, knives, like scrapers, whatever, and scraping me away, like scraping away my stomach, my legs, my breasts, my arms, like scraping away the flesh. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Mm. And you were still studying dance. You chose that as your focus. In high school, I kind of was all over the place. In college, I studied a lot of Latin American history and Afro-Latin cultural history. I ended up getting a degree in hospitality management with a focus on food and nutrition. (laughs) Surprise! Isn't that common, though, don't you think? Right? Don't we study what we yearn to know, whether it's in or out of the classroom? How many nutritionists do you know that perhaps struggled with their relationship with food? How many psychologists do you know? I mean, as an author and a writer, editor, I yearn, I love knowledge. And of course, I pursue and often write about what piques my curiosity, but that doesn't just happen from nowhere. If you're really going to be honest, there might be an experience you had that sent you down the rabbit hole of research, right? So going back to your journey How did you recover? If you did, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that. Is that something, is that a demon you always battle? Do you have to make that noise go away? Or is that something that is resolvable for lack lack of a better word? No, and it's a a perfect question structured in the perfect open-ended way because the answer is yes, no, maybe, and always. Like Mm -hmm. there's a point where you choose to practice health, whether you want to or not. And at several times and and eating disorder issues are with you forever. It's an addiction and an obsession, just like anything else. But rather than put something in your body, like drugs, alcohol, or obsessive overeating, or, you know, indulging in sexual behavior, whatever it is, you remove it. The obsession is to remove it or to deplete it or to just completely avoid it, which if it were another substance, that'd be great, but it's food and you have to have some food or you're going to drop dead. So the difficult part is how it resurfaces in your life. And as a woman, if you choose the pathway in life to 
have children, whether biologically or not, you have to model behavior for your children, let alone the fact that when you're pregnant, not a good idea to be throwing up. (laughs) You know, how about getting pregnant? I mean, that's something I think a lot of teenage girls need to hear. And I'm sure you see that in your studio. Perhaps we can get into that a bit as well. You don't think about what you're doing or not doing to your body. And then you want to procreate and you want to have a healthy womb in which to grow another human. And how can you do that if you're not nourishing your own body and spirit? You can't because something will give way. And women's bodies are amazing. We know this is a whole nother podcast. Like we know women can be in the basic throes of starvation, like clinical medical starvation and still bear children, nurse them healthfully. And it's actually still amazes me to this day, but something, the levy will break somewhere. Right. And so usually that's in an, in a health situation or a health crisis later on down the road, organs aren't working right. Digestive systems are destroyed. This is what happened to me. The VLI in your entire digestive tract is destroyed, never to return. Or it's psychologically damaging beyond normal repair effort. Does that make sense? So, so your, you know, your once a week therapy or your twice a week therapy is, is barely holding you together and you're functioning and you're doing all the things women do. You're working and you're relationshiping and you're mothering and you're running the show and you're running the carpool and you're all the things that you're doing. And this very vital part of your existence is tattered. It's, it's just beyond fragile. How do you put it back together? You have to come back to what you really, really love in the world and what you love about yourself in the world and hope that those two things connect. For me, it happened to be the practice of physical things and the connection to things physical. So sports, dance, and now I've, I've added, you know, water paddleboarding and surfing and things like that, that connect you to how your body in this particular practice, it could be something moving, it could be something static or still, reading music, whatever it is that you do in the world with your being and the two things connect in the enjoyment. So for me, dance and things physical, and believe me, it's easy to practice loving the one and then heart continuing to do your own self-harm for a very long time till you get to a certain age. And this is what happened to me. I could deny myself food all day and run triathlon train, go, 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 do, do, do until my body said, absolutely not. And then you have to step back and say, okay, if I don't nourish myself, treat myself well, kindness, respect, I will not be able to dance. Like it just comes down to something that simple, that simple. And so you have to make choices. I just saw a great, I don't know if you happen to see, I'm going to just tie this in because I think it happens to be really profound and 
makes a ton of sense. Oh God, I'm going to forget her name now. She's the greatest. She's literally the best softball player in the world. And she just did an ESPN piece and they photographed her nude. I mean, modestly and beautifully, but they photographed her nude and her body does not look like the sinewy, vascular, lean, no body fat percentage athlete. She looks incredibly athletic and strong. She's beautiful with like beautiful curves and strong legs and a core, but she's got a tummy. She's got nice thick arms. And the quote that I saw was like little social media piece about her piece with ESPN was that she had to come to a realization. And, and I, uh, when I read it, like the, like I, the, I just, the tears just came right out. And she said, I had to decide that what I love to do is more important than what I look like. And I may not look like Sally Sue, sinewy athlete, but she can't hit that ball like I do. She can't move like I do. She mm-hmm. does. She will never do what I do the way I do it. And that's it. It was so powerful. I encourage you to, it's probably all over social media now too, but oh, it was, it was just, it was really profound. And that's exactly what happens. And I, what the, the thing that made me feel so good about seeing that in particular was she's really young. (laughs) No kidding. She's young. And it took me decades to get that decades to, to accept myself and any way, shape, or form physically. Decades. Like, I'd already had Skylar. I'd already done all these amazing things with my body. I'd already done Ironmans and this and that. And I still wasn't happy with myself. Took me forever. And it's amazing how those messages, I feel like we come to the planet where these little computers and what's inputted, it's really hard to erase really difficult. And it's, you know, there's a lot of research. I remember when I was practicing speech therapy and I was telling parents how important those first five years of life are. We remember the body remembers, right? And how have you, I guess the one way of saying it, Steph, is it sounds like that part of you may always exist and you have to make a conscious daily choice for you to control it rather than it controlling you. That is 1000 million jillion percent correct. And it's every single day. And that's why eating issues, body dysmorphia issues are kind of the silent, the silent issue. And I've actually heard through the therapist grapevine (laughs) that most therapists, they'll deal with everything. They'll deal with heroin and they'll deal with relationships and sex addicts. And uh, they do not want to touch food issues because you have to figure out how to not have a food addiction issue, have, have an eating disorder and eat. You don't have to have a, I need to not drink anymore issue and still have to drink. Like it, it only on this plane does this exist. And it is complicated and nutty and I get it. I understand it. I honestly, there are days every now and then, or like a large part of the day will go by or I'll have a big stretch of time when I actually don't have a thought flow through. But I have to say 
and this is not like it's not the sympathy vote or anything like that. There is never a 24 hour day period where a thought doesn't go through my mind having to do with one of two things. One is, oh my God, I hate this body. I hate what you look like. I hate what you look like. You look so awful. Or nope, don't eat it. Nope, don't. Just don't eat it. Doesn't matter how much you want it. Doesn't matter how much you think you deserve it. Just don't have it. You don't need to have it. And how do you squash those thoughts? Let's close with that because I would know our listeners would love to hear whether they have teenagers, whether themselves, there's a lot of self-discovery even in our forties and fifties, right? So you knew this very young, but I know I have friends and family and just lots of people I know where they're awakening and realizing that perhaps their childhood trauma, that is the why behind their thoughts or their actions. So what do you teach in your studio? What do you say to yourself when these thoughts arise? It's always easier to tell others than yourself. We know this is true, especially women, but I had to, it's very much a case of talk the talk and then baby step, walk the walk. And I think the more I know I'm advising and helping my clients and students to, to make the healthy, kind choice doesn't mean you can't challenge yourself and do, you know, do things and try things. But the more I know that I'm not just hearing myself say it, but I'm not the type of person, and you know this, to just say stuff. Like it's, it's that, it, that's useless. You have to really believe what you say. And so it took me kind of leveling in my head, like, you got to practice this, even if it's really hard to practice this, you have to practice it or your delivery and your message and your like purpose is so disingenuous. It doesn't matter what else you're doing. It doesn't matter. So it is a daily practice. It comes up on the daily and I have to sometimes like, I have to really like like close my eyes or like shift off, you know, shift inside and say, okay, you need to like, like have the sandwich, take 20 minutes, relax. Everything's going to be fine. Then the next hour we're going to do this, this, and this, or I have to literally like say, okay, today, this body taught three classes, trained with my own trainer, paddled for two hours, came home and cleaned the pool. Like, and you're going to have the damn gluten-free pasta. You're just going to have it. That's it. And you're going to enjoy it. Exactly. Because in, if, listen, if we've learned nothing else the last few years with this pandemic that I can't believe is still happening, but it is, is that we have to be here now because now is all we have. 100%. And I've thought to myself, and I think a lot of, I know I'm not alone, that this actual, this last year, time period of about one year, is perhaps been more difficult than the first section, the first phase of the pandemic, because we're now in this weird bridge of reality, not reality. Go back to normal. Don't what's normal anymore. Things are still happening. The economy's crazy. Our thoughts are still like we didn't process and heal and fix what happened from a year and a half, two years ago yet. Like 
everything's kind of on this funny, like teeter. It kind of feels like one of those weird bridges over the two mountains, you know, where you're like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and so you have to be present. It's why I, it's why I connect to the physical. You must be present. I have to, I can drift off and feel great and let my mind relax, but you're standing on that paddleboard. You must be present. You have to be present just to yourself, nothing else. And so doing those things helps you connect too. And I go, oh my gosh, my legs, my arms, I'm strong. I'm in control. I'm connected. I feel good. Everything's at harmony, even if it's just for this 45 minutes. And that is huge. I can like make or break your self-speak and your self-soothing and healing. I can really make or break it. Thank you so much. And it sounds like just like the name of our podcast here, Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake. Sounds like we need to make time, right? That is just... You have to. It, I say this too. I have a lot of young moms. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> a lot of young moms. <laughs> Again, another wave of children who are just adult. They're adult. They, they, it's either their first child or what I found is their third or fourth. Whoops. Right? <laughs> and they are literally like, they're just adult and they can't. And I said, put the children in a room. It's okay. Put the little gate up, turn on the loudest, most like punk kick-ass music you got and just literally go nuts like just be billy idol just be crazy and just move just move until you sweat and then stop that's it it's 10 minutes it's good doable well thank you so much for sharing so openly today really appreciate you and your journey and it's been inspiring having you here and thanks to everyone listening to moms don't have time to move and shake Make some time, as Stephanie shared today, and let's do it. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Move and Shake. Get moving.